Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra fabulous edition of Thrash and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that said goodbye, Dolly, because she wouldn't eat her peas and carrots. And speaking of herpes, I'm Aaron, and I'm <laughs> vaguely joined as uh, usual by our very own mystifying it boy, who you can't overlook because he's <laughs> shining in misery, and he's also Mr. J Wags. How's it going? Ah, oh, it's going great, and I loved the Matt. You in one sentence, you got it like eight Stephen King references in there, which I love. I did, <laughs> and I also got a double pun in there because I've. With you guys, I've been, I'll say usual instead of usual for your first few episodes. But because um, for our listeners at home, Jonathan's currently in rehearsals for a show or doing tech for a show. So we're pre-recording his stuff for this episode early, just in case he's not able to make the recording. So it is also unusual. So that's why I said, ah, unusual, (laughs) because I'm a nerd. We're creating words like Cole Porter did. That's all we need. Just some swonderful. I put literally so much thought into that one stupid fucking pun. (laughs) (laughs) I need a life. Anyways. It's great. It's wonderful. And it's marvelous. <laughs> Would you like to tell our listeners about the show that you're doing? Absolutely. It's called Shining in Misery, a king-sized parody. It is, uh, I'm performing in Madison, Wisconsin, so any of you in the American Midwest, come on up to the Playhouse at the Overture Center for the Arts. The show is running for two weeks only, February 23rd to March 5th, so come on and check it out. Uh, you can check it out at capitalcitytheater.org if you are interested in purchasing tickets, or just come on by. Yep, and to my friend Travis in Appleton, go see the show, because I'm telling you to. Yeah. For no other reason. (laughs) And it's funny you say shining in misery, because I can see the sun shining very brightly behind you, and it was just very poetic when you were were talking like that. I will turn that off. That's just a halogen that's on a timer in this room, because I realized I could turn down. I'm like, I had suddenly got, like, the the Jesus halo behind my my head just in a moment. Oh, it's it's a light, not the sun. I'm a moron. That would have been distracting me the whole time. (laughs) Like, why is my head on fire? All right. Well, good to be here again. Yeah, awesome. Yes, because you haven't... No, you were here last episode. Yeah, Jonathan X. It was a lot of fun, and it's so much fun you you wanted to bring me back, so thank you. Uh, An Australian guest this time, Mm -hmm. so we can teach you some Australian lingo and correct that accent that you attempted to do in the last episode. (laughs) That was funny. Australia is a big place. I'm sure someone there sounds sort of like what I did. Yes. Americans when they attempt to do Australian accents on American TV. Well, there we go. Like the um, Simpsons episode. (laughs) Can't imagine that's a very popular episode in Australia. When it first aired, people complained. I'm not surprised. Well, I am. (laughs) I'm really surprised because Australia, the Australia I know, has a sense of humor. Well, but it's also, you know, one of those things where it's like when you don't see yourself in American pop culture for a while, like there's literally like since Yahoo Serious, we kind of left you guys alone for a while. Yeah. And it's like now the Simpsons are just going to crap all over your beautiful country. Yeah. But we had one of the writers of that episode on the show, Bill Oakley. And what did he say? Well, I apologized to him on behalf of my country for being such wankers and <laughs> fucking complaining. 
<laughs> no joke. Like that was literally the first uh... thing I introduced him, right? And he's all like, wow, the, that was great. And I'm like, I am so sorry for my country, mate. Like, I don't know what was going on then. I don't know what people were thinking, but that was like the sole reason of inviting him on the show was to say, I'm so sorry, Bill. I really Because <laughs> you guys didn't deserve it. I feel like that's one of the nicest reasons comedy writers have ever been invited on a show. Just like, yeah, I'm here to apologize for people not getting your jokes. Well, that and I, I think he's great and I think he's really funny and he does lots of fast food stuff and I'm obsessed with fast food. So I, I can't even read my clock. It's a backwards clock. That seems like a problem. And it's, it's 12 minutes ahead. <laughs> What's the time? Okay. It is 5.40 p.m. here. So if that helps you. It's 10.40. Yeah, no, it is. It does help. 10.40. All right. Yes. See, okay, I can read it now. And the thing is, like, it was up there for ages, but a year ago I moved it there, but I still go to look up there. Reflex. It is. I get it. It is. It's reflex. Every time I visit a foreign country where you drive on the left, like, I always have to just remember, look always, every time, or I'm going to get creamed by a car. Yep, pretty much. It was me in Hawaii, because I wasn't used to it. And then I was trying to work out in my head if it, it we're, we're, they're actually driving on the same side, it's just a mirror image or something like I was trying to work it out <laughs> in my head because of the way cars pull up to my house is from the right mm-hmm. and they're the closest to it. So then I was like, when the pizza guy drove up to the backpackers, I was trying to work it out. Is is it just the same, but not? I don't know. It's the same, but a little different. I, get I know that. the water does go differently. The Coriolis effect. Yes. That which was the Simpsons episode that it all comes back to the Simpsons episode. There we go. Yeah. Guess what? What? We have another uh, returning diva in the comedy <laughs> club tonight. And when you talk about stars in the Australian sky, this man has definitely seen a lot of them in his time <laughs> as a stand-up comedian in a career that has seen this queen on screens and behind scenes by appearing on every talk show on Channel 31 and bringing joy plus the prerequisite laughter, well, we hope, to a variety of variety shows like The Spec Show, The Rove Show, The David and Kim Show, and probably Cheese TV. Wait, did you do that one? I did not do Cheese TV, no. <laughs> and probably not Cheese TV, but that doesn't matter. As I excitedly shout a huge Aussie g'day and a really enthusiastic welcome back to one of our favourite past guests who has been on so many TV shows, he's practically furniture. <laughs> So luckily, Jesus was a carpenter because this lovable lad is in need of repair. Get it? Need? Oh. Too soon? I hurt my knee. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Oh. I thought it was clever. <laughs> Almost as clever as you'd need to be to write questions for any show called Hard Quiz. But thankfully... There is one, or else he would be writing for a show that did not exist, and that would be strange. (laughs) Almost as strange as this icon's insane list of theatrical credits, where he popped up in Legally Blonde, Hairspray, Rocky Horror, and probably Aladdin. 
to signal an untimely closure. <laughs> That's rude. But never fear, because we're not above torturing the sick and injured, as we welcome back to the chamber the man who can only be described as our next guest, because he am me, I am you, am I am me, I am, but he am theory, because there's no one like Mr. The Fabulous, Adam Richard. Yay. Oh, thank you. Yay, welcome back. No, I'm really, really excited to have you back. I was pretending. I I wasn't in Aladdin. I auditioned for Aladdin. (laughs) You popped up in a cameo, didn't you? No, no, no. I didn't do a cameo in Aladdin. I did a cameo in Rocky Horror. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll rewrite that then. We did heaps of cameos. I did a cameo in Priscilla. I did. Yeah. I was in the drag show introduced by Trevor Ashley and I mimed to, um, yeah. I think it was simply the best. Accurate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You were talking about this last time. Well, that's where I took it from. And obviously I got it wrong. No, I had an audition for Aladdin because they clearly wanted to get the, <laughs> the Broadway <laughs> genie over. So they auditioned really unfit people who couldn't. <laughs> Do the, do the singing and or dancing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I've been called in where it's just like, just like, well, if we don't go with the guy I want, we're going to have to go with this Jagoff. And it's like, hi, I'm the Jagoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I could tell they didn't want me because like the guy doing the reading with me didn't even get up out of his chair. I'm like, can I at least pretend to do some acting with the Aladdin? <laughs> He's just like sitting in the chair reading his bits of paper. I'm like, fine, I will mime. <laughs> Use it. Use all of that. Yeah. Wait, but let me just go back. Do you have a show in Australia called Cheese TV? Yeah, we did. Oh, we did. It was just, wasn't it just like cartoons and music videos at like yeah. eight in the morning or something? Yeah. I was an adult by then. I wouldn't. Yeah. Well, I just thought like it was a show about dairy product. I'm in Wisconsin right now and I would watch yeah. the fuck out of that. Oh, oh, that I would watch that. Yeah, that would be good. I love, I love that. Um, I'm I'm thankful you didn't mention the many television shows I've been on, uh, oh. with the in, with the in, inaccurately labelled celebrity in the title. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to, but I wasn't that enthused. But do you know how much it took to practice that and to work myself out of doing that excitedly? Because every one of these introductions I do excitedly. You know how hard it was for me to pretend to not be excited by your greatness? My statuesque veneer? I can't believe you didn't mention Celebrity Dog School or Celebrity Splash, where I was in a diving competition. Celebrity Letters and Numbers. Celebrity Hole in the Wall, which was not the show I thought it was. <laughs> I would have gone where you went there. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a polystyrene wall with a hole in it that I had to get through or I got pushed in a pool. I felt like it could be a wonderful Masked Singer spinoff. Who's behind the wall? Let's find out. And then afterwards, you feel pride, joy, or shame, depending on who's on the other side of the wall. I got a rough chin. And, and instead of take it off, take it off, everyone's like, put it on. Put it on. <laughs> Actually, that is a show called Naked Attraction. Oh, where literally oh. people stand behind a wall naked and it slowly oh, comes up. I am familiar. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, we won't go there then. <laughs> that is the thing that has made it to America. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Oh, wow. I think that's a pretty squeamish about nudity. Not our version of it, but we just are very aware of all the European and also like other yeah. versions of it yeah. by people who are like, oh, you know, like, you know, what we shouldn't be ashamed of the body we're given. 
Like in America, we can show the most horrific stuff, but like one nipple. Nope. Yeah. Everyone's got a gun, but no one has a penis. <laughs> nope. And maybe that's connected. Well, they won't show a hero's penis because if it's small, it will devalue that heroic nature of oh, the is hero. That what right? it is. That's what it is Gosh. there, apparently. Look at the Marvel. You can CGI anything into a movie yeah. these days. Yeah. You could you could make a Hulk dick. Like it could be a thing. Yes. <laughs> you don't see any much through the cutoffs. Just like have it go down the leg. Yeah. Poking out the tip. A little turtle. There's no there's no outline. In winter, Harry <laughs> Potter would snuggle into Hagrid's foreskin. Anyways. Oh no. <laughs> That's turtleneck jokes. He's a child. Look down. Oh. Not anymore. <laughs> now he's in New York doing musicals. Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> Merrily we roll along or unroll. Uh anyway. No, stop with the force. <laughs> unsavory <laughs> i shouldn't have taken a drink after i said that because i couldn't, couldn't swallow. that's what she said anyways okay oh, matron. <laughs> now last time you're on the show adam mm. listening back over you were a fantastic audience member and yes i was i was on par but you laughed at all my jokes and then afterwards I'm very generous for the listeners at home Afterwards, Adam had the cheek to say to me, oh, yeah, I can fake laugh at anything. And my ego just went <laughs> flattered all over the ground. I went to breakfast radio. Yeah. This is all genuine laughter. I can feel all of it. This is all genuine. I did breakfast radio for 10 years. Like, it's a skill. <laughs> well, I'll be keeping my eye on you this time. But also, <laughs> last time you were here, which was, I think, August 2021, Oh my God. You asked the question, how could they reboot the Kardashians? And since then, they fucking rebooted the Kardashians. They rebooted the Kardashians. It was amazing. Why did you have to say it? Why did you do that to us, Adam? I didn't. I didn't know that that was going to be a thing. I mean, they only rebooted it so the Kardashians got more money. I know. Like, that was... Like that was a thing they were worried about. Well, yeah, no, the E channel were getting too much money off them and Ryan Seacrest was making money and they weren't making enough. (laughs) Ryan Seacrest has like 12 shows (laughs) all at the same time. He is the hardest working man in Hollywood. Yeah. And producing shows as well. Like he's berserk. You know, like the Kardashians, did I mention this last time? The E channel invented them as celebrities because they couldn't get access to any celebrities because like you know we're the entertainment network and it's like no one wants to go near it because it's trashy so they had no celebrity so they made up celebrities they created mm-hmm. the kardashians so they'd have someone to go on all their other shows. i hate <laughs> this world they create their whole i hate this world so much okay. as a fan of medieval history i love the fact that professional courtesans are still a thing yeah <laughs> there's no way to talk about her majesty queen consort <laughs> It's just like, it's like, oh, no, th- th- there were people who absolutely filled this role in the past. We just called them courtesans. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Everything old is new again and vice versa. Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. I, d- I just think like how many artists out there have original work and we're getting more fucking reboots, <sighs> reboots on reboots. I could go at least 10 years without another Batman. Like, yeah. I think I we, like we could just pause on the bat i felt like that and then i saw that last one and even though it went for over three hours i'm like oh damn it it's really good i'm really enjoying it there does not need to be a three-hour batman movie ever i know but three hours with robert pattinson brooding i'm 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 there (laughs) i saw the lighthouse okay like that was fine with two hours 
Another hour of that would have left things very dark. And bird murder. Best bird murder ever put on screen. A lot of bird murder. No, the Batman was pretty camp, but without knowing its camp, it didn't lean into its campness. I enjoyed the Batman. But there was that moment where Bruce Wayne walks into like a public conference thing and and, an NPC turns to him. Like the NPC is talking to himself like, oh, these worlds are really shit. And then looks up at him like, oh, bloody rah, 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 and speaks to him. And I'm like, that's a non-playable character in a fucking video game. You've just walked into a room (laughs) and a character's just given you the plot. A non-playable character was talking to themselves and we overheard it as Bruce Wayne. That's to be right. And it even looked fake. It's almost Shakespearean. Yeah, I love that shit. (laughs) It's almost Shakespearean. It's like he's soliloquizing. What? Like, I'm I'm not talking to you. I'm I'm telling the audience. Do you mind? (laughs) You're just happening to hear me. You're saying you're going to kill me. Just shut up. This isn't for you. I will kill the king. What? No, this is not a monologue, it's soliloquy. One of my favourite of those recently was, I'm looking, in the Scottish play that one of the Coens did, Stephen Root doing all the bawdy talk is seriously mm. one of my favourite scenes in cinema ever. I'm like, what a great idea to get Stephen Root to do this bit. Oh, the, was he the porter? Doing the porter yes! Mark? Well, I loved it because on stage it's like the joke is it takes an actor a five-minute monologue to get to the door. But in yeah. this one they could actually have him walking through the whole damn castle like, yeah. wow, this is a big-ass castle. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got okay. like so much so much heavy lifting to do in the in the scene. Plus also the only funny bits in the entire play because it's like mm. we need we need a break from all the murder. <laughs> a lot of murder. But my my also my, my other favorite is that it was very obvious at certain points where like the two leads were clearly reading the script <laughs> off of something in the in the near distance. We even had yeah. friends of Gordon literally just read the letter. Like we are just reading this. <laughs> I am not memorizing this stuff word for word. <laughs> I pasted my lines into a magazine once. <laughs> Same. Oh, we yes. I've been working on a lot of new projects and like <laughs> lines are changing fast and furious. So I'm feeling that. I'm just I'll just pop that in there. <laughs> there's an actor who gets their or there's a lot of actors probably get their lines read to them through an earpiece. Thank you, Marlon Brando. The other day, uh, apparently there was scandal on one of the reality shows, the Married at First Sight. Oh, fuck off. One of the grooms had a visible earpiece. So obviously producers are feeding them their reality dialogue. And you're like, oh my God, nothing's real. That's not reality TV. It's just TV shows with people who don't know how to act. Oh yeah, it's all full of shit. It's like when we were doing the diving show, like one of the producers used to be a producer on My Kitchen Rules and, or MKR, as they call it, (laughs) and kept kind of telling us, oh, and now say this about, Denise will say this about Bryn and I'm like, I'm not saying that. I'm like, I'm not one of your desperate, needy reality stars. Like I have a career. I don't, I'm not repeating whatever it was that you want me to repeat. Like I'll say what I feel like saying and it'll be funny, but I'm not doing any of your, any of your confected (laughs) conflict in a show about jumping into a pool. (laughs) Well, jumping's a bit of a stretch. I mean, it was pretty much glorified falling. Yeah. Gravity did most of the work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just fascinated by the concept of some of these shows. So oh, I would love to was... see Celebrity Hole in the Wall and just see where that goes. Yeah. That went very dark places. Celebrity <laughs> Splash was, we had, we had like a decent lineup of judges. We had like Matthew Mitchum and Greg Luganis. So we had like, you know, yeah. gold medal divers yeah. telling us how terrible we were, <laughs> terrible we were at diving. <laughs> I, yes. 
I would imagine that would be how that would go for most people who are not trained yeah. in di the diving arts. Yeah, I think in their heads they thought it was going to be like Dancing with the Stars because, you know, they had the costume designer from Dancing with the Stars and we had all these amazing costumes. But I, I don't think anyone thought through that a dance goes for like three and a half minutes and it can be quite mm -hmm. exciting television, <laughs> whereas diving is about three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> It's literally just gravity. Like, yeah. hey, do you want to see gravity work? Here's a show. Like, <laughs> like, the plot was just celebrities jump into the water. Yeah. Yeah. And are critiqued. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, all right then. Now, I feel less need to watch that one than Hole in the Wall. Yeah. I got concussion in that one. <laughs> oh, honey. God, I can't take you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got concussion from water. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> water I have seen water bend a ship's hull. Like it is hard when hit at velocity. Yeah. 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 It was it was I had to go to the hospital. <laughs> it was, Ouch. It was a moment. No, no more gravity based shows for you. No, not for me. <laughs> I'm clearly terrible with with gravity and standing upright. No more shit reality shows for you, please. Uh, but you know, I loved them. <laughs> And they pay money, which is nice. They do. They pay a ridiculous amount of money. Like they desperately wanted a fat person and all the other fatties had said no. And they'd obviously made this kind of shallow howl um, promo that they wanted to use. And so they just desperately uh. had to get a fat person. So my agent really screwed them. <laughs> that is what agents are for. And bless your agent for that. Like one of the TV executives go, well, you, we almost passed on you because your agent was just screwing us for money. And I was like, well, you wanted a boomba. <laughs> like, well, you're, yeah, this is what it costs to get me into whatever. You pay by the kilo. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Goodness me. Anyways, we're going to move on. Sorry. No, this show is way out of control already. Now, already. Um, sorry. No, that's fine. I'm, I was prepared for it. <laughs> Somewhat. Um, anyways, what would be in your ultimate rock star rider? Oh, well, like I used to have like crazy riders, but now I just probably like it would just be a cup of tea, like a nice cup of tea. No, but that's boring. We want crazy. I know. <laughs> I had a friend who was a, a reasonably successful musician. He said like his manager always wanted to throw one weird ass thing in there. Yeah. So that way he could tell if the people on site were paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, I want a ham sandwich with no bread, but all the ingredients must be laid out. It's like, okay. <laughs> Sandwich with no bread. Just like all deconstructed. Like, fine, that's a thing. It takes a second to do it. You had to pay attention. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's where the brown M&Ms comes from. And that's why they did it was to make sure that they were paying attention and mm -hmm. all the units were communicating with each other. But that's also like the brown M&Ms one. That's wasting time. Like you just need to buy like ingredients for a sandwich and to just arrange them. Yeah. Making an intern sort M&Ms. <laughs> like just buy a sandwich and just make the intern eat the bread. Yeah. <laughs> Interns would love that. Free meal. Free meal. This is celebrity bread. <laughs> celebrity bread. That's your next show. Celebrity bread. Yeah, I'll do celebrity bread. <laughs> They've done that. Celebrity bake off, haven't they? Oh, they have. That's baking. He just rates the bread, talks about the bread, maybe eat some of the bread. Yeah, talk about the bread, squeeze the bread. Show them my recipe for what I used to call dumplings when I was a kid, which is just to rip the middle out of a piece of white bread, screw it up into a bowl, and then pour Coca-Cola on it. <laughs> I could call it best in dough. Ooh. Best in Very, dough. Yes. Great. That is amazing. Nailed it. Best in dough, colon, celebrity bread. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then you have to do Celebrity Bread Gluten-Free Edition. Yes! <laughs> There's so many spin-off available. Oh. Best in dough, needy celebrities. That's what it would be. Ah! Needy celebrities. Oh, that's, that's too much. You can't double down on a pun. That's too many. <laughs> How very fucking dare you. The structural integrity of that joke will fall apart. Best support that joke with some extra puns. Yeah. <laughs> like a flying buttress of punning. Yes. Support the height of the joke. Speaking of jokes, I don't know if there's many in here. I was trying to sleep when I wrote this. Always the best time to write. Yes. Yeah. So, uh... I don't know how it's going to sound because I haven't practiced this one. Okay, so we're going to move on to the metal album now. And uh, Mr. J-Wags chose Screaming Trees' Sweet Oblivion, mm-hmm. I believe it's called. So I've written a review. I'll quickly run through that and then we w- shall discuss this album. When I was first given Screaming Trees, I wish I hadn't immediately confused them with the screaming jets but would this unknown grunge band send me into sweet oblivion or sound more like a baby mandragora that's a, a mandrake from harry potter the one they oh, get okay. it screaming trees that was really clever aaron thank you that was great that was yeah thank you i know <laughs> i know i i told me that anyway <laughs> so i planted the album on spotify and pressed play and wished i hadn't immediately left the room because I ended up missing the first track. Oh, silly. But then Nilly Lost You sounded vaguely familiar, as did Dollar Bill. And given my love of mid-90s Gen X comedies that weren't about explosions or car chases, I swear I've heard one of these singles before. Ultimately, upon each listen, my first thought each time was that the singer needs a soother or something to clear his throat. (laughs) To let that dry gruffness soar, as there were several moments where the vocals kind of fell flat. Butterfly, better fly out of here. But I kind of dug for celebrations past, as it felt like we were entering the bronze or exiting a Cameron Crowe movie. Many of the songs could use some more meat on the bones, and I would know. Mostly in vocals, as lyrically they weren't exactly cliché whilst not being overly pretentious or really poetic. I kind of don't know what to make. As for a grunge album, it fell a bit short. Grunge should be dirty, not sleazy, but rough. This felt very produced. So I would be interested to one day compare an older album, as this left me slightly indifferent. Two and a half stars. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. I don't know what to make. Of it. I definitely can get that. First of all, like Mark Lanigan, God rest his soul, his voice is not for everyone. He is not for all rooms, but it's just, I think it was the idea of coming out of the 80s and grunge had the idea of like, hey, what if everyone didn't try to sound like the guy from Journey? <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Mark Lanigan sounds like he just woke up out of like a 20 day cigarette and whiskey bender, <laughs> yeah. rolled into recording studio and sang his feelings. And yeah. I do agree that, yeah, his voice is a little bit rough. This is one of the few groups where I like the albums better than the live recording because, like, they all had mm-hmm. substance abuse issues. Yeah. So whenever they were live, the shows were usually kind of a mess. <laughs> I thought this was sort of, the, like, uh, a nice connection because I thought the storytelling songs were good. I thought the songs weren't overly long. It is polished a little bit in the production, less so than the yeah. other albums, but I feel that yeah. they were lumped in with the grunge scene primarily because they were a Seattle band oh. that came up at the exact same time as Nirvana, Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, Alice in Chains. 
Uh, but Smashing Pumpkins was Chicago. But anyway, uh, I feel like they were lumped in with that. But yeah, uh, all the Screaming Trees hits I know did come off this album. Yeah, I I really loved his voice. I found it it was I get why they were lumped in with Soundgarden because his his voice is not unlike Chris Cornell's in that kind of you know he has a lot of range despite being kind of gravelly. Like he mm-hmm. there's it's. It's more melodic than I think I was expecting it to be. Like, I was like, oh, you can actually get to some places, even though it sounds like it's hurting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't find it gravelly. I found it dry. Now, I, yeah. I think he sounds like um, the dude from Queens of the Stone Age. Well, he was a member of Queens of the Stone Age for a while. Like, it was a joke, Adam. Oh, sorry. I'm used to, I'm used to dealing with idiots. <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> couple of references in my thing singles the cameron crow movie mm-hmm. what song is it um nearly lost you or yep nearly lost you that was the... yeah that one's very familiar that's from singles and that was quite a big hit i imagine and scream the tv series as well is um it's in singles when they take the pregnancy test <laughs> mm-hmm that you even know the same uh cameron crow is so hit or miss for me and it's weird because like the movies yeah. of his i love i love the movies of his i hate if you guys haven't seen like have you seen tar the Kate blanchett movie that's out now no no i've not it only just came out here like two weeks ago i think yeah. so yeah we've only it's only just arrived at no point are you like oh that's not Kate blanchett but it's just like oh i didn't yeah. know Kate blanchett was clearly a classical conductor and she's clearly led this life but that's clearly Kate blanchett <laughs> <laughs> And a lesbian. (laughs) I got to ask her a question at the Oscars when she won one year. That was fun. One of the years she won. One of the years she won, yes. The only year that I went. Oh, wow. What did you ask her? Um, I don't remember. Something something inane. I was working on Breakfast Radio. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You had the basic bitch questions. I hate that. (laughs) Yeah. I love that y'all call it Breakfast Radio. It just makes it sound so much nicer than The Morning Zoo with Billy and the Nuge. (laughs) Oh, our show was the Matt and Joe show with the fabulous Adam Richard. <laughs> yes, that sounds great. See, if I had known to Google you with the fabulous in front of it, I wouldn't have got all these Richard and Adam videos. I know. I was going to post them. A lot of Adam Sandler. No, Adam and Richard. <laughs> Richard and Adam was like. They're, they're from Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, BGT. Yeah, yeah I nearly <laughs> retweeted a video saying, "Um, Adam, is this you? Just to make a joke about it. Knowing it's not. But how fat I am? Did I take up the room of two people? How very dare you? No, we thought you had a split personality and we're making fun of your mental illness. Oh, yeah, cool. That's fine then. Way more appropriate and not going to get cut out of a Roald Dahl book. Thank you. Oh, this Roald Dahl. Uh, yeah. I just. It's too much. Yeah. Like, I understand doing it to some things, but they've gone too far. Yeah. Like, you know, they, re- they rewrote all the Enid Blytons. Like, no one's called Dick and Fanny in those books anymore. Aww. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it's Rick and Franny. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Rick and Franny. That sounds nice. Yeah. yeah. Fanny in a... Sh- oh, it means... Yes, I know. I, I am oh aware. Oh, my God, fathers. Which yeah. <laughs> is so funny when every American says Fanny Pack. Oh, yeah. We're like, why would you wear a purse down there? I mean, I guess it is a purse. <laughs> It's a little, well, yeah, it's like a little, it's a little open thing that you can hide little things in and then pull them out. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the people I know wear them in the front. So, hey. There you go. That's why we love the, the nanny so much here because we got to sing Fanny really loud. She was out on her fanny. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said a rude word. <laughs> Do you want to know a really random fact? Mm. Adam Baldwin went to school with Liz Calloway and her sister Anne Hampton Calloway, who wrote and sang, I think they both sang the theme song, To the Nanny. Oh, wow. Well, it, it sounds like they were performers at the time. Like, it's a very cabaret song. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Adam doesn't remember them. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember half the people from my school either. People pop up and they go, oh, I remember we were in class together. I'm like, I took a lot of drugs in year 11. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where the medal is meant to go. Yeah, look, it was okay, I think. It's not a true metal album. It feels more like a singer-songwriter album with a lot of heavy guitars. Yeah. I was just going to say, I enjoyed the fact that it had like a, like a very psychedelic Doors sort of influence. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, of, a lot of grunge was very kind of metal and 70s sort of influence, whereas this was kind of like almost 60s, early 70s. Like it was a, yeah. it felt like, and it was a bit more melodic than a lot of the stuff that was around in the early 90s. I just love a 90s album where when you hear the singer and the band, you know exactly who you're listening to. It's like Cake. Mm-hmm. The second a cake song starts, you know you're listening to a cake song. Yeah. 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 And the moment a cake song starts, I know Chuck is starting. Speaking <laughs> oh of Adam. The 90s were mad for like throwing a, a pop song into the start of a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like whoever that band was that they used in Smallville, it's like, oh, they never did anything ever again. But I know that song. <laughs> but they made that money off of a theme. Theme songs are the yeah. way. Oh, and, yes. Oh, man. And the, the Rembrandts, they yep. wrote that song specifically for Friends, I believe. <laughs> So we had a contestant on Hard Quiz whose topic was the Goo Goo Dolls. Why? What's wrong with some people? I don't know. We ended up writing five questions about Iris. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else in the discography. Only City of Angels. Yeah. (laughs) Like, seriously, City of of Angels came up. What was the question? Question. Does he want the world to see him? I kept saying in the office, I was like, oh, yeah, they also wrote the theme to Friends. And like, then no, they went. I mean, they might as well have been. They're all the same. <laughs> uh, to this day, I cannot tell the difference between the wallflowers and the gin blossoms, but that yes. may just be me. <laughs> no idea. They are the same band. I, I, you, I could not tell you the difference. <laughs> they very well could be. I don't, I don't know. even know if they're the Daddy Warhols or the Dandy Warhols. Like oh. Dandy, they're the Dandies. Oh. Dandy Warhols. <laughs> Daddy Warhols is another thing altogether. Yeah. Okay. That was a weird Tom of Finland thing. Damn, <laughs> I missed out on all the fun. Uh, oh, where were we? We just completely lost track again. We've reviewed the metal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we love the metal. Well, you and I did. I enjoyed this. It, it, I don't think it's the best example of this kind of music from this time because. As you say, it is, sounds a bit too overproduced. Yeah. And I think I would like it a bit raw, raw. Yeah. That's not a word. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I think I, I think up to a three for me. Yeah. It was um, interesting. This was their most successful album, but it was also their second last one before they split. So. Yeah, they were very busy doing other things. Yeah. <laughs> Heroin. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> 
Thrones. <laughs> if you are interested, they, there is an anthology of a lot of their earlier work that's just sort of like crammed into like a double mm. disc set. So if okay. you want to look back at some of their earlier stuff where it's a little less produced and a little less shiny, this was sort of like their, hey, let's get these songs on the radio album. So it needs to sound like all the other songs on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a let's make some money album because we're, we're just spent all that money on drugs. <laughs> I mean, that dragon is not going to chase itself. No. <laughs> Um, let me find my. I have a. I have um, segues written for both. Segways. <laughs> um, waiting for the segue. Oh. Waiting for the time. It looks like if a tree screams in a forest and nobody is there to hear it, we should go to an ad break. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. We thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. Our next show is Moulin Rouge at the Al Hirschfeld Theatre. This show is a lot of fun. I mean, it's a jukebox musical, so it's a good time. You know all the songs. has a fantastic cast. You have Derek Klenna, Ashley Loren, Eric Anderson, and Declan Bennett starring. Eric Anderson is hilarious as Harold Zidler, brings a completely different perspective to the role than Tony Award winner Danny Burstein. The set for the show is just beautiful. You walk in and it makes you feel like you're in the Moulin Rouge, the set by Derek McClen. And then you have Catherine Zuber costumes. They're kind of stripper-esque. The lighting is just the most fun thing ever. It's just a fun show. It's based off of a film which I know a lot of people have issues with, but this cast is just wonderful. And the songs are a lot of fun, as are the arrangements and orchestrations as well. And we can't forget the choreography in the show by Sonia Taye. Beautiful dance in this show. Now, whether the show is for tourists or purists, this is a show for tourists, as are most of the shows based off of films. But this show is just a fun night at the I write basically the dumbest thing that I think of because a lot of ideas come to mind. And <laughs> oh, please, have you seen my sumo show? The jokes in that are so dumb. <laughs> the Dohio on YouTube. If you're a fan of sumo, definitely go check that out and subscribe to that. But yes, I think you'll find that is why I invited you onto the show because of the vibe you bring to that. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you saw all the bootlegs of my Dewey, and that's why. <laughs> No, next. I don't typically watch bootlegs, to be honest. Although I watched Pamela Anderson. Oh, she was wonderful. Oh, I'm I'm in love. I love her. Anyways. I heard she was an absolute joy to work with on that. I have a friend in Chicago and I heard she was lovely. Oh, good. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. Well, I said the only problem they had was just like, they've been doing the show for decades. So, but like, and like, she always wanted to do extra rehearsal. Like we get eight hours of rehearsal this week, right? Like, no, you're up. You don't need to. It's like, yes, we do. It's like, okay. So they did a whole bunch of extra rehearsal to make her feel comfortable. But I'm like, I'd rather have a star do that than the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Finding it in. Anyways, you're listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Mr. J Wags. And we're joined by Australia's own Adam Richard. I'm in bed. Me too. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, it's not. <laughs> I've got, um, here, I'll show you if I can. I've got a uh, busted leg. Oh, no. <laughs> the excitement. 
What? Oh, too much skiing? What's going on? Well, I wish I was doing something that interesting. <laughs> just literally walking down steps. Like one step. I went down one <laughs> Not step. even steps. <laughs> <laughs> we got like Claire Richards. That's it. Uh, on my birthday in Vanuatu, one algae covered step uh, on my first morning at the resort. And uh, now I'm in this for months. <laughs> oh. That's that's not fun. Yeah. No, do. we caught that, and I can use that in the episode if you. Please do, please. Don't mind. I know you've already said it online. My shame. <laughs> not a shame to need help, Adam. It's never a shame to ask for help. I'm old enough to have had a fall. <laughs> well, especially with your leg the way it is, I'm sure you got some groovy pain meds. So we're having uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> I have taken all sorts of things. <laughs> If, if, if I had my leg in a cast or a brace, it'd be just like, all right, I need a lot of help. What, mm. what can you give me? That's what I was going to say. For the listeners at home, Adam was such a sweetheart. When he first broke his leg, he messaged mm. me straight away and said, I am so sorry, Aaron. I've just broken my leg and I can't. I have to postpone the recording because we were meant to do it a couple of weeks ago. And I'm mm. like, Adam, you broke your fucking leg. Why are you apologizing to me for? I'm sorry for you breaking your leg on your birthday. Like that was all because I knew you were going on a trip and it was a surprise trip and everything. It was a surprise holiday. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going. You know, I was really excited for you. Like you were going away at the same time as my parents were going away. So like literally I could get some peace and quiet for a change. <laughs> and... <laughs> That happened. Anyways, no. Wait, wait, did he go on holiday with your parents? Was this, no. was this like a group? Yeah, oh, they, okay. they, they pushed me down the stairs. <laughs> oh my God, it's showgirls. It's showgirls. Show <laughs> <laughs> it was all true. How is it the straight one brings up the showgirls reference? But no, if, if Adam went on holidays with my parents, he'd be breaking more than his knee. His spirits would be broken. That's all I can say. Oh, <laughs> your parents are lovely. The weird thing is it's not broken. I I broke no bones. I just managed oh. to tear my quad away from my patella. So basically ah. the, the muscle and the, the bone are no longer attached. I mean, they are now. A surgeon went in and fixed it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got wires in my leg now. <laughs> I'm bionic. <laughs> yeah, you are a cyborg and can now play chords. I'm Jamie Summers. <laughs> Which one though, the original or the remake? I'm Lindsay Wagner, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Who was it in the, the remake? Uh, it was Michelle Ryan. That's right. And she From was EastEnders. In, wasn't she in Doctor Who as well? Yes, she was in an episode of Doctor Who. Oh, an episode. Well, how do I know that then? Anyway. I don't know. I don't Why know. did I think she was a companion or something? I don't even know what a companion is. She was a companion for one episode. Yeah. Companions like, you know, when you Pretty see much. and together and you think they look like you know here's my nephew that's a companion (laughs) well i would have said with that's a handbag but anyway that's a a different situation (laughs) we're allowed to say this we're gay australians (laughs) i'll be cutting this all out this is one of us technically Pretty certain. Really getting south of the equator changes everything. That's what it does. <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> and I did not mean that as a double entendre, but it just worked. Yeah. Ironically, we have much 
much worse um, defamation laws here than anywhere in the world. Like, you could really get sued quite badly in Australia. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we don't have any freedom of the press. There's no such thing. Right, shout out to... <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I don't get anyone arrested. Yeah. <laughs> You know what's really funny? I right before you, you came in, Adam, I I said to Jonathan, I need to burp. Oh, it's just Adam. It's like <laughs> I was not meaning it like that. I was meaning more like I'm comfortable with you. What am I, chopped liver? No, <laughs> you are foie gras. <laughs> foie gras. <laughs> there we go. Like I'm already feel like I've known you for years, Adam. Yeah, thank you. You too. Well, I mean, you're putting up with Aaron, so you must be. <laughs> A saint. <laughs> He's lovely, and I'm going to heaven for this. It's my indulgence. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to move on to the musical, which this week we have chosen Mr. Saturday Night, which was recently on Broadway, a musical version of the film, which I have not seen. Oh, yes. it's great. It's a love. It's my favorite Billy Crystal movie. It's yeah. I really- and he directed it, didn't he? He directed it and he and he yeah. wrote most of it. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, and he he uh, co-wrote the book for the musical. Uh, so yeah, it's based on the the '90s movie Mister Saturday Night, which is a movie about a 1950s era comedian who was just sort mm-hmm. of coming of age in the the time when television was very young, and mm-hmm. uh, the movie takes place in the '50s and in the '90s, 40 years later. Uh, and the musical sticks very close to the plot of the movie with some very key differences, which I will be spoiling here. So if you do not want spoilers, I will tell you to stop listening at some point. So in the movie, uh, the idea is this character, Buddy Young Jr., uh, it sort of takes him as like sort of this funny kid who ended up working in the Catskills and ended up like launching out of that into a comedy career and then getting on TV. But the thing with this character is, as Billy Crystal says, he always blows up the bridge he is standing on. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because he's just the kind of person who always needs to make it about himself and can't think about other people. Now, in the movie, they lean much more into that aspect of the personality. And that's one of the reasons I love the movie so much is that they do not give you an incredibly likable Billy Crystal, which is so hard Mm -hmm. because he's so naturally likable. I know. And at the end, the the happy ending isn't what you think it's going to be. The happy ending is a much smaller, but I think much more earned ending. Mm. In the musical, with uh, music by Jason Robert Brown and lyrics by Amanda Green, daughter of Comden and Green, uh, the the musical legends behind Singing in the Rain. I think she also wrote the lyrics for Bring It On the Musical at High Fidelity the Musical. Yes, it's an interesting piece as a live stage show. First of all, because Billy Crystal, back in the 90s, was the age Buddy Young Jr. was supposed to be in the young era. Yeah. But he had to put on all this makeup to play the old character. Now, he just walks out on stage. Yeah. <laughs> and just sort of deals with that. Uh, but they do not try to young him up in any way in the young scenes. They just sort of, like, he's young now, they're wig, and then we're done. I'm remembering it. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's through the lens of memory. <laughs> And they bring back David Paymer. Yeah, yeah. David Paymer from the movie, who was nominated for an Oscar for the film, comes back for the musical. So it's I saw the musical twice at the Nederlander. It was a, a lovely thing. And the best part about it was watching Billy Crystal have the time of his life. I saw the show twice. This man made eye contact with every audience member in the Nederlander at some point or another. The wow. whole show is just about the energy he's giving back and forth. There are whole sections of the show that are just Borscht Belt comedy routines. And he nails them. He nails them so hard. Uh, But in the first act, he's very, uh, like, he starts the show by basically screaming insults at the audience, which is supposed to be like a (laughs) retirement home. 
but you get away with it because it's Billy Crystal. It's amazing. I enjoyed this much more as a play with music than as a traditional book musical. Uh, I don't think the songs add a whole lot to the story, except for the fact that I will always listen to Shoshana Bean sing anything. She's great. Most of the men in the show, aside from the ensemble, uh, David Paymer and Billy Crystal are not necessarily trained singers. So the songs are mostly sold through the personality of it, and the, the, the recording doesn't really come across nearly as much as the vibe. The main issues I have with the musical sort of going forward is that we do get a sort of a happy ending at the end that we do not get in the movie. The idea uh -huh. is the whole plot revolves around the idea that everyone thinks Buddy Young is dead. <laughs> He's put up, a, like at the Emmys in memoriam, he watches the Emmys and his name goes up and he's like what and then like everyone freaks out <laughs> that's great <laughs> he ends up uh getting on like good morning America because now he's now he's alive and that ends up getting him auditions and more work yeah <laughs> he ends up going up for this movie and he ends up nailing the audition and then in the movie he doesn't get the part but in the musical he does and that's oh, that was a huge critique of the movie when it came out that it was such a bummer of a like you know there was yeah. no I loved that I loved that too like I I thought that was amazing but I know that there was a lot of press at the time just saying yeah can't you be funny it stayed true to the character yeah. but it, it it wasn't Harry and Sally. <laughs> I'm sure when you listen to it, you can tell exactly what point this comes in the plot and what we're trying to say with it. Yeah. And really, I like my favorite parts of the show are the, like the little ensemble parts where they come out and sing like a TV jingle while they're like quick changing Billy Crystal again. Yeah. <laughs> like these little perfect, like there's only three people in the chorus. It's one woman, two men, and they come out and they're nailing these like little tap numbers. And it's really, really cute. And I'm like, if this had just been like a tiny little vaudeville where all the songs were diegetic to the action, yeah, that would have been a lot more fun, I think, because I didn't need Billy Crystal to sing a song about how he feels because like the movie made all that happen with the dialogue and the dialogue is very very good yeah there are some really cool comedic moments like there's the the song called timing which is my favorite one where it's basically just billy crystal and all his friends at the friars club singing about what it takes to be a great comedian to this young agent played by helen hunt in the movie and it is played by chase and Harmon. now adam did you make sure to listen to that one i did <laughs> Sorry, I'm kidding. It's my entire life. <laughs> it's adorable and I like it. And then the problem I just have is that a lot of these songs are just like, we get to the title and then we don't really get past the title in terms of the depth of the song. Mm. And also then we get to the point where it's like, well, this character hasn't sung enough. And it's like, but that's not necessarily reason to have them sing a whole number that doesn't mean anything to the plot. Yeah. Really, I would have been okay if this, uh, we had focused primarily on the relationship between Buddy and his daughter here played by Shoshana Bean, Tony nominee. Mm. And she, she's amazing and in the movie that is the victory uh, Buddy earns is he reconnects with his daughter who has substance abuse issues and uh, they've been very estranged and that's the happy ending he's like I didn't get my dream but I realize you're the thing that matters but yeah. in the musical it ends up being sort of a super happy ending where it's like I get my daughter back and I get this and I get this and it's like okay this is this is fine but it didn't give me the same sort of love I wanted from it. Yeah. And also, they noticeably change the controversial thing he says on TV to get him fired. Do you remember what he says in the movie? I can't. I remember it being something horrific. <laughs> uh, basically, he goes on a, a very homophobic rant about Davy Crockett. That's right. Because Davy Crockett is beating him in the ratings. Yeah. Now I want to hear it. It's so good. <laughs> they cut yes. to David Paymer, who plays his brother and manager, and it's just a close-up on him him his eyes dying yeah as billy crystal lights his career on fire on the 
other side of the camera. You hear all the jokes and they're horrible, bad taste jokes. And it's just like, you really start to like, oh God, this is an ugly character. In the musical, they just say, he called Davy Crockett a communist, beep, beep. And that's it. They sort of skip by. <laughs> oh, <like>. <laughs> Like, Aww. I like that. I, I don't like homophobic humor, but no. I like the fact that they were willing to make that character so fully unlikable at that time. Yeah. It makes the character so much more interesting. I think gay jokes can yeah. be hilarious when they're delivered. These well. were not in good fun, uh, presented by a member of the community as self reflection satire. <laughs> oh, I don't care. I want. I still want to hear it. <laughs> it's it it. But it is what it is. A really cringy moment, and David Weimer sells it. Like he's oh. he's so great in that film. Like it's underrated character actor all throughout his career. All throughout his career, underrated. Always good. Yeah. Always good. All the way back to Crazy People with Dudley Moore. If you remember that one, he was the guy who could only say hello. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> And and City Slickers, he was the the guy the ice cream tycoon with Josh Mostel. Ira, <laughs> like, yeah, Iron Barry. And, and isn't like the so the book writers are also they're the writers of City Slickers, are they not? Like they, mm, I think it's Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. Yeah, they wrote a lot of stuff with like, like very eighties, nineties screenplays and they do like parenthood and stuff like that they were very busy mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't think this musical should be produced again unless you can get someone who understands borscht belt comedy the way billy crystal does and i think he's literally the last one left yeah so unless you can get someone who understands that sort of jewish cat skills humor deep in their bones i wouldn't want to see it but if you get a chance to see a performer who connects with this material the moments of the show that fly absolutely take flight and yeah. uh, you, you can get through some of the songs that stop the action a bit. But in general, I'd say this is much better seen if you can watch the pro shot than listening to the soundtrack. Well, it's on Broadway HD. Yeah, you can watch it now. Yeah, I know, but Spencer's subscription ran out and I wasn't paying for it. So <laughs> it's very expensive. It's like $12. Well, then watch the movie and then imagine where the soundtrack songs go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty easy to figure out. I've got to say one thing I did enjoy was the the fact that the they're not huge big Broadway belters. Like even, you know, Shoshana Bean, who, you know, is a huge Broadway star, was not treating the songs as if you know how a lot of musicals now it's like, oh, this song's a bit weak. I better belt every third note so it, yep. no one can tell how bad the song is. Like mm. the songs are a little bit you know they're flaccid um <laughs> they're fine they're like they're not bad they're it's excellent pastiche yeah. but it doesn't they don't they don't go to the next level and yeah. they're not clever enough to make you go oh i've got to hear that one again that is so like the language turns on it in and itself and it's really good and and yeah Pema and crystal are their, their voices are serviceable and they're fine mm. But I kind of liked that. I liked that it wasn't, you know, I've heard so many cast albums lately where it's like, why are you singing every last note in this? Like you're trying to win a prize. They're trying to win a prize. Yeah, but it's like no one's committing to the story. No one's committing to the, the message of the song. Yeah, no one's committing to the character. It's just like, I've got to sing this note for three and a half minutes really loud eight times a week. So I'm going to, you know destroy give myself a nodule yeah and i really liked that that wasn't happening but i was just just none of the songs really the only song that i kind of really enjoyed was the that that one where buddy's kind of reflecting on of course i behave like this because it was me like you know mm -hmm. that song where he's like it's it's the internal monologue that he never really it's almost like he doesn't get that in the movie like everyone mm -hmm. else gets that he's a dickhead but he never really gets it he gets it like this much, just like a tiny amount. Yeah. 
but yeah, he's it's like a full song of self-awareness. And I'm like, I don't know if I'd love that. Like I loved it in listening to the song, but then I thought, I don't know if I would love it seeing it on stage, seeing him have three and a half minutes of self-awareness. <laughs> he he sells the hell out of it. Like, uh, like yeah. he is singing for his life. The first time I saw it, he had literally come back from COVID that day. It was his first oh, time wow. back from COVID. And when I saw him the second time, his voice was much better. Yeah. Uh, but he sold it even though he had like four usable notes that day. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's a great song. Like, it's just, a, it's quite a moment. And I'm like, yeah. But part of me is like, no, oh, I don't know if Buddy Young Jr. would ever be that self-aware. But maybe if it's an internal monologue thing, I don't know. It was a weird, was a weird enjoying the song, but then does it betray the character kind of moment. But I'm like, well, it's his character. Yeah, they can, they can be two different things. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, I enjoy the, like, the natural, the book and the natural, the movie, even though they literally have opposite endings. <laughs> like, in a movie, you gotta have the happy ending. In the book, you can have a downer of an ending and people are fine with it yeah which was the problem with mr saturday night the movie it had the downer ending <laughs> so yeah. no one liked it no one liked it yeah and also i don't know i i feel like him getting the part it just feels a bit like i don't know it feels a bit too much like the kaminsky method it's like yeah no i love that when these grumps don't like are assholes all their lives and then you're like how did they manage to get work finally <laughs> Because the plot told them to. Yeah. I'm like, no, they they would have been assholes and no one wanted to work with them. Like, (laughs) it would take some deranged executive who's like, I've never heard anything bad about this person. Let's hire him. Italy is hiring Kevin Spacey. Well, it's just, yeah, it, like in, in entertainment, it's like if someone like they're not going to take a guy. Oh, who's that guy from the 50s? You, you maybe kind of remember. We're going to go all out for this guy in his 80s. Yeah. The whole film's built around him. We're doing that. <laughs> yeah. Another shout out just the ensemble, like the entire cast is perfect, but the ensemble nails every tiny character part they're supposed to come out and do. Yeah. They nail every single one of them. It was just a very well put together production. Oh, that's great. I wish I'd seen it. Well, I'll say it one day on the video. When it was in the Nederlander, which is like, it feels like a little vaudeville house tucked away down there. Yeah. And it's just like, it, like you're walking in like, ah, I'm seeing an old vaudeville. It feels, feels nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love an old theater. And a whole, a whole bunch of Jackie Mason-esque routines. <laughs> yep. I have a couple of notes. Um, I did start writing a review, but I did sit down to watch the pro shot and then write my review, but I couldn't. So I got mm-hmm. like literally half a page of my review written. This is, from what I can tell, Jason Robert Brown's first American musical comedy. It's the first one that I've put on that I've thought, this isn't a pop album. This isn't some personal internalized monologue. This is American musical comedy. He also did Honeymoon in Vegas, as I recall, yes? Oh, really? Uh, Yes, Honeymoon in Vegas with the 40 Flying Elvises. (laughs) 40 Flying Elvises. (laughs) I'm not sure if it made it to Broadway, but I know he did write the score for Honeymoon in Vegas. God, there have been so many. I used to do jokes about like movies that were turned into musicals that shouldn't happen you can't joke about it anymore because they're all actually being turned into musicals <laughs> i know is jurassic park yeah, the musical actually happening <laughs> uh there is a parody if lion king can happen i don't see why you can't make it happen come on laura dern let's get her out but not a musical full opera sung through completely full opera, yes. sung through completely <laughs> Like if you're going there, go there. We are doing three go hours. Everyone sings. T Rex has an aria. The Velociraptors sing in four part harmony. I was obsessed with the Lord of the Rings musical. I'm like, oh my god, it goes for like ten hours already. The songs are gonna make it longer. Yeah, it's a ring cycle that has to be twelve hours. Hey. Yep. <laughs> Anything about a ring has to be ten hours. Yeah, got to be ten hours. Hole in the wall went for that long. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sounds like you need to get someone better behind that wall. <laughs> no, I didn't watch it actually. Um, I didn't know it was on. I sort of switched my TV off when Lost ended, and I haven't looked back since. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can understand. Yeah, now I agree. The Broadway performers definitely stand out. And I know a lot of people have said that they couldn't see this without Billy Crystal, that it's tailor-made for him and he didn't have an understudy and all that jazz. I don't have that affection to the movie. I don't have that experience with the movie. So I would very well sit and watch any person in the part. But I think the problem that I did have with it, the show as a whole felt like it was trying to go the angle that a new brain went with. <sighs> I think new brain was also like specifically dealing with like brain injury. Like, so you could do a lot more interesting things. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the setup. I'm talking about the setup in terms of the cast size is what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Not, not the plot. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm actually, I'm in an eight actor musical right now where it's just like we, everyone is doubling except me and one other person. So it's just like, oh, wow. Tomorrow's the costume day. So we get to figure out all the costume changes. So. Oh, fun. <laughs> I was flabbergasted when I was at Legally Blonde being backstage and seeing people singing backup vocals while getting changed. I'm like, oh, my God, let her have four minutes. Come on. <laughs> I hate that because it's because like you can't communicate with the person changing you. It's no. like I have to face in this direction because if you hit my mic, it'll do something like <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that. It's not every show with a small cast that I would say this about. This one in particular, it did feel like, sort of felt inspired by, if you will. So there were sort of different moments all the way through that I felt like were not, they didn't sound like, but they sort of felt, as I said, inspired by. But it, it didn't go all the way in. And I think that has something to do with having Billy Crystal there, that you're doing a show for tourists very much here. So they couldn't go too theatrical with it. They couldn't go too over the top or too creative with it, I don't think. Well, they could, but didn't want to. It's the vibe I got. Well, yeah, I just wish they had kept some of the courage of the convictions. But I think that I think that Billy Crystal learned the lesson from the movie. It's like people don't want me to be sad at the end of a movie. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's the lesson we learned, I guess. I like the commitment to having a small cast, though, like because the impulse would be, oh, we've got Billy Crystal and David Paymer. Let's fill the stage with a mm-hmm. huge chorus and a big, like, confect some big numbers out of nothing and, you know, just throw it all at the wall. And it's like, oh, no, 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 they've clearly gone, it should be a small piece because it's a small character piece. Like, it, it doesn't need a 1,000 yeah. people in it. No, I, I agree. And that's, you know... That kind of restraint is rare on Broadway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the Nederlander has a tiny backstage, so I think that's part of it. Yeah, well, then. <laughs> like we, if everyone's getting their own dressing room, we need eight people in this show. <laughs> I do kind of love that in opera where it's like clear, they hire the supers and the supers just walk in and march. I'm like, yeah, good for you guys. Like, yeah, own that. Yeah. Aida needs to be carried in on a litter. Oh, I saw an Aida at, on the harbor. A friend of mine was, they had like a giant Nefertiti head and she was up in the eye doing her arias. Oh, wow. And it was nuts. They had camels um, come out across the stage. Like it was madness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just saw the, uh, this past Christmas, I saw the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular for the second time. Oh, fun. The Rockettes. Yay. Yes. Oh, the Rockettes. They were in Morocco. Maya's show. <laughs> Rockettes, they're precise. Don't care what anyone says. I'll say it. They're very precise. <laughs> they they turned up at the end of Mariah Carey's Christmas special. <laughs> but get this. I saw 
the fifth show of the day. Oh my God, five shows a day. Every third hour starting at 10 a.m. I caught the 10 p.m. show. Wow. And it's just, they have the same energy. At 10 p.m., it's almost like bordering on madness because it's like the energy of the room (laughs) has been like literally, there have been 30,000 people that have come through this building today to see this exact same show. Oh my God. And you have to deliver the same amount of Christmas. into into our faces and like wow we paid for christmas give me christmas and just the fact that people were bringing kids to a show that started at 10 p.m in downtown new york city yeah it's a done thing man mm-hmm. no one wanted to go to the 10 a.m i feel like that would be the worst one like ooh, i'm like i i, I need the coffee it's like they were saying and we need a little christmas right that's very like okay let's just let's let's have a coffee and maybe do a little can we try that one I would love the 10 a.m. show. <laughs> I'd be mad for that. <laughs> Just be full of pensioners. <laughs> exactly. So all the oldies would be there. Goodness me. Um, there's nothing that made me want to skip it, mm-hmm. unlike Butterfly on the other album, which I skipped numerous times. You just listened to it so you could skip Butterfly? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Um, I liked the Chances song, and I, I thought the Yiddish scatting was funny. I love the Yiddish scat song. Yiddish scat. But I noticed there was no major showstopper, and I did kind of mm. like that, because not every song needs to end on a big fucking note. And not every singer can sing a big fucking note, as we have found out. No. I saw 9 to 5, and I was like, because you get to the end of the first act, and I was like, oh, there have been no standouts. I mean, they're all lovely Dolly songs. I love a Dolly song. And Casey Donovan, I'm like, she's not really having to sing that much. Marina Pryor, pop songs are well outside of her ability. Like, she was, what you do realise is, oh, my God, this woman can act, like, mm-hmm. which I had never really thought about before because you're always thinking about her operatic voice. And then in the second act, Casey gets the showstopper, and it's like, oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the big number. Judy's at the door. It's that one guy in the martial art movie who doesn't do anything for the first two minutes of the fight. He's just standing there with his arms folded. You're like... <laughs> That guy's going to do something awesome. We just got to wait. Yes. <laughs> There's a reason you are here. It's like, oh, God, thank, thank God I didn't leave at halftime. <laughs> Which I have done once or twice. I love that you call it halftime, too. <laughs> I always call it halftime. It's halftime. It's <laughs> yeah, a football thing. Now, Tahiti, I love that song because I've been to Tahiti. Very cute. Oh, it is beautiful. It is. It's kind of bittersweet, that song as well, which I really like. Yeah, because I want to go back there. That's why. And Morea. <laughs> oh, my God, Morea. We were on a private island in Morea, uh, just a little tiny island swimming with stingrays and gummy sharks and stuff like that. Can and you not mention tropical holidays? That's where I broke my leg. Way to be insensitive. <laughs> Aaron. Were you thankful that it was about Tahiti and not Vanuatu? Because when I noticed that, I'm like, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I'm, I want to go back to Vanuatu. It looked like it was going to be amazing, but, you know, it was our first morning there on the way to breakfast when I fell over. Wear the swim socks next time. Yeah. <laughs> it, the stairs looked fine. Like, there was just a step, and then I next thing I was asked over to the lagoon. <laughs> sure it was a nice lagoon. It was yeah. a lovely lagoon. It was beautiful. <laughs> Brook Shields was not there, though. Oh. At least we know you had a nice trip. Oh, too soon. Too soon. I, I stole that from the Power Rangers movie. Okay, where 
she flips the guy over and goes, have a nice trip. I'll see you next fall. When you're 10 years old, man, you just laugh your head off at that. I love that movie. That is hilarious for a 10-year-old. <laughs> yes, that is very much. And that movie was made in Australia. Thank you very much. I, I did a whole podcast on it, a whole four episodes on the making of that movie and how it of course you did. created the Fox Studios, which is now Walt Disney Studios Australia. Yes, mm. which is around the corner from here. I can walk there. Well, I could. No, you can't. Watches. You're healing. Not no, this you way. Can, you can hobble. <laughs> I can hobble. Yeah. Uh, why, why don't we call it Saturday or Mun Night or Tuesday Night? Why is it Tuesday Night? I think because it's like just Tuesday Night feel like, it feels like, hey, who's up for Tuesday Night? Like it, oh, it, it does. Like a little t- <laughs> when you say it like that, I, I get what you mean. Okay, yeah. Dad. <laughs> you want Tuesday Night or a Thursday Night? <laughs> Wed night would be easier than Wednesday night. That's like four hours of having a conversation. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> I listen to this podcast and they, whenever they say Wednesday, the guy pronounces the D and I'm like, what is going on? The British are so precise. It's like, this is Wednesday's episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's weird. What bugs me is people who pronou- who overpronounce the T in often. <laughs> often. Yeah, I'm like, calm down with that. We don't need that T in there. We're good. We get it. I used to work with a guy who um, I was always saying he has not written this himself. He's reading it out. They're like, no, no, no. He's really, he's just really erudite. He's really the. And then one day he said subtle, and I'm like, yep, he didn't write it himself. <laughs> subtle, nice. Subtle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was always taught don't make fun of people for mispronouncing something because that means they're just readers. Yeah. Exactly. But I also deliberately mispronounce words on this show because I I know to really uh, lean into your dreadful puns. (laughs) Well, that and just (laughs) it's fun. Anyways, it looks like midnight has struck on Mr. Saturday night. So after this ad break, (laughs) it'll be sun morning. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. 
He whispers despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins. But both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Alrighty, we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Mr. J Wags, and we are joined by trailblazing Australian comedian here to celebrate Sydney Gay and Lesbian Pride, which is this weekend. It's the fabulous Adam Richard, or as I like to call him, I don't know her. <laughs> Recently, the movie Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent was released with Nicolas Cage. Now, Adam, mm -hmm. who, which actor or actress would you like to see be in a sequel? To, oh, to that Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, and you're not allowed to say Mariah Carey. Sorry. She would be amazing. Yeah, but she barely <laughs> done anything. Come on. Acting she did glitter. It's a, it's a cultural One thing. Touchstone. She did precious. <laughs> Two things. She directed uh, a Hallmark Christmas movie starring With Lacey, Lacey Chabert. Chabert. I know. I um, saw. Oh, yes. And Craig from Unreal. <laughs> and Kathy Najimy. Love her. <laughs> so good. Craig is in Craig Bjorko. No, no, no. 
Craig, oh. the host of 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 Everlasting. The- <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I thought it was like Craig, as in friend of the show, Craig Bierko, who was on. No, here. I love Craig Bierko. If he was in that movie, I would know that by now. Sure, you would know that. It's an amazing film. Mm. Mariah has directed herself to have the best lighting in the film and everyone else gets, like, the standard. Um, And it was weirdly, weirdly sponsored by Folgers. So there's just these long lingering shots on a giant can of coffee for no good reason. It's very strange. We talk about it in my Mariah Carey podcast, Me, I Am a Memoir, The Meaning of of Mariah Carey. Um, No, who would... (laughs) Who would, I'm just trying to think, who has, I mean, John Malkovich would be great because, you know. We kind of already had that with being John Malkovich. He's already, yeah, he's already done his movie being him. We have already had that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to think who would be, who has the kind of, the range and the, oh, Keanu. It has to be Keanu. Keanu could pull that off. He's very skilled. (laughs) He's very, like, I don't know if, I don't know if you've seen John Wick 3 with people, stunt people standing around waiting for him to hit them because he's taking his time. <laughs> yep. He's in his 50s. He's like, yeah, I'm not in a hurry. I'll get you. I'll get to you. I'll hit you in a minute. Just wait patiently. <laughs> Keanu Reeves has been in too many good movies to be a bad actor. It's just like sometimes he is not. Yeah. He should not do a lot of classical work. No. And that's no. fine. Yeah. But I think he is one of the best reactors in Hollywood. But like you can tell it's a good Keanu Reeves movie because then he has to say, Oh. Oh. oh, and if he does that, like, oh, he's reacting, and I believe that he meant that. Whoa, yeah, yeah, I think Keanu is about the only other one we could we could do that with. I would have said Bruce Willis once upon a time, but he unfortunately will not be making any more films. Oh, they're not making this movie, Adam. This is a hypothetical question. I know. It's a, well, if we could make it like fifteen years or twenty years ago with Bruce, I'd say give Bruce a go. I think The Rock could do a good job in a very meta movie about what it's like to be mm. The Rock trying to make an action movie. Because I think his comedy would play well with that. He's got a whole TV series about himself now. Like, he'll have no stories left. <laughs> it's not like we've had a chance to miss Nicolas Cage at the cinema either. He makes about nine movies a year. That's true. <laughs> he does. A varying. A varying quality. <laughs> I put Pamela Anderson. <laughs> She could be a lot of fun with that. Pam could be good. I think Jason Momoa would be great too. Oh, I, th- I love his sense of humor. He's yeah. He's got a delightful sense of humor. I was just thinking of like who else has done that? Oh, you know who it should be? It should be Meryl. Someone who's obsessed with Meryl and try and like the whole story is them trying to get Meryl to do every single accent they come across in the street. Can you do Jamaican Meryl? Uh, I'm not doing No, Jamaican. no, we're not. No, no. I can, but no. We're, we're not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm good at it. I, I do it at home. Uh, my daughters think it's hilarious, but no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> All right. More serious question now. So I'm going to put my Tracy Grimshaw lace front on. Mm-hmm. When you were coming up in the Australian comedy scene, I mean, this is Australia. It's mm. rough here. Let's face it. Being a kid, we'd walk into our parents' garage and somebody like, oh, you're poofed or are you? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just how we grew up. Did you cop much homophobia in the comedy industry? You're, you're, you are flamboyant, let's face it. I was I'm, I was the only gay in the village back in the day. Um, now there's heaps of us. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like, not kind of... A lot of it was indirect. Um, you know, like, there were people I just refused to work with after a while. Like, people who would 
deliberately do their most homophobic material like while they were hosting before bringing me on, you know, and, and but I mean that was kind of part of why I was doing it was because I saw like I went to a lot of gigs with I was I used to hang out with Corinne Grant when she was kind of starting out, and it was it's so it's so intimidating for a woman backstage at a gig and you know back in those days there was only ever one woman on the bill which sometimes was me i was like there's no women oh okay um, yeah. <laughs> if you can't spot the woman in the room adam uh, yeah that's pretty much how it is also if you don't if you can't work out who the asshole is hi um but yeah like i'd be at these I'd be at these gigs with Corinne and I'd just see all this homophobic material and people just, you know, getting easy laughs out of really shit-ass gay jokes. And I was like, well, someone needs to address this. And, you know, I was encouraging people to do stand-up and no one, I was like, oh, maybe, do I have to do this? Is this me now? Like, I'm a comedian. Um, So, yeah, I just, that's the reason I started. And it's kind of the reason I kept doing it for so long, like mainly to redress that balance. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of comedians did really struggle, like especially if they were hosting and I'd been on and the audience loved me and then the audience would then judge that person and be like, oh, we thought you were funny before we we decided not to laugh at anything else you say for the rest of the night. Like they would then struggle after I'd been on. So, yeah, that became a thing. One of the things I used to do when I first started was I had a bit where I would get the audience to yell out their favourite thing that they used to call gay people. I was like, what's your favourite name? Because, you know, the Australian sense of humour is such that there are a hundred ridiculous (laughs) names that we have. Like, And I just had like a little comeback for all of them. Like, you know, people would say, oh, ring pirate. And I'd be like, yes, that's one. You'd hate to get one with a hook, though, wouldn't you? Um, (laughs) And dirty donut puncher. I just once someone yelled out blouse wearing poodle walker, and I was like, well, you know, if the blouse fits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that was kind of one of the things I used to do to to get people to yell things out. And it just became like it, it, even that stopped being like people would stop kind of joining in on that after a while. Like it was kind of like, oh, you know, we're not comfortable being bigoted anymore. So, you know, sometimes just turning up is enough. <laughs> to stop people being completely offensive. Isn't blouse-wearing Poodle Walker a Simpsons reference? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like like groundskeeper Willie screamed that at, like, at Principal Skinner once. (laughs) Yeah, blouse-wearing Poodle Walker! (laughs) Very possibly. (laughs) Like, like even growing up, my uncle would call me Wooz, like Little Wooz. Yes, as in in, Woolly Woofter. Yeah. And I didn't realize until I was a little bit older. My my dad used to call me Dickhead. That was my nickname because Richard is my middle name. And so he decided that. So Dick is short for Richard. But why not add a head at the end? Uh... How did any of us not top ourselves in our teenage years? (laughs) Yeah, and not for lack of trying either. (laughs) Tell me about it. All right. Now, fuck, marry or deport to Mars. No. Trump. Boris Johnson or Scott Morrison? Oh my God, I, I I can't I can't deal with any of those. Well, too bad. You've got to fuck one, marry one, and deport <laughs> one to Mars. Well, probably deport Trump to Mars because he might make some sense there. 
As an American, thank you for that one. <laughs> and maybe marry Scott Morrison because that would horrify him being the uh, rather devout Christian that he is. And so that means, yeah, I have to fuck Boris Johnson, who looks like he's got bed hair anyway. Like he's been fucked quite mm-hmm. regularly into the bed head. So. He does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, who would be in your VH1 Divas Live? And yes, you're allowed, Mariah. Well, she was in it twice. Uh, so of course I should be. She was in one with Aretha Franklin, one with Diana Ross. I would probably just cast the original first one. That's cheating. Why? Because it had Shania, it had Gloria Estefan, Mariah Carey, Aretha Franklin, Celine Dion. Like that is. I mean, maybe keep Celine away from Aretha. That was a problem. <laughs> Celine is the female meatloaf, and I will not hear any of this slander. Oh, I love, I love Celine because she has no idea, which I love about her. She's completely clueless and will sing anything. And it's like, you shouldn't really do a cover of that song because it's iconic. No, I want to do it. It's a great song. Okay. <laughs> yeah, do You Shook Me All Night Long in Vegas. That'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> She'll do anything. Like, she's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, that was that concert was amazing. That Divas concert. Uh, if I had to do it again now, um, like I really love that lineup. Like, well, Aretha's not around. I know Aretha's not around. Well, maybe I'd have Mariah and Dolly. I think Dolly mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd probably get Miley in because I love a bit of the Cyrus. Okay. Um, who else would I have from a Divas concert? Maybe Adele, because you know she, she would start a fight on stage with all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And maybe because I get a little bit parochial sometimes, Tina Arena. Oh, lovely. Yeah. You should never have a number one hit in Australia. Like number two is the highest she's ever been. Neither did ACDC. Yeah. And she's the first woman ever to win Album of the Year, Aria, which is astounds me. She had a number one when What's-His-Face died. Teddy Whitten. No. Surely that went to number one. No. Wasn't it good? No. Oh, okay. No. So. Not even Chains? Not even Chains. She did the original cast recording of Whistle Down the Wind. Notre Dame. Oh, yeah, Notre she, Dame as well? She did, no, Notre Dame de Paris. Uh, Whistle Down the Wind, I think she did a bonus track on that. Uh, but a lot of them did. That's when Boyzone recorded No Matter What and it became a hit. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Okay, now, uh, I know you're obviously big on pop culture. Have you noticed there's sort of a shift in audiences that there seems to be a bit of an audience ownership over... The things they love now that you could go to a theatre and see a show and there'll be a group of fans that have seen it 10 times and they're singing as loudly as they can. They're talking, saying the lines because they own it. They own that thing. Yes, I've seen Hamilton. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Twice. (laughs) Yeah, I have seen that. But it's not just just theatre. It happens at the cinema. I went to... Possibly one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life, which was Doctor Strange in the Mountains of Madness, whatever it's called, the <laughs> Multiverse of Madness. Um, mm. I foolishly went on the first night. It was because a friend of mine wanted to record a podcast, reaction podcast afterwards. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come with you and then we're going to record the podcast. But it was just chockers with crazy Marvel bros and it was at just next to the the now Disney Studios. Like they were cheering the Marvel logo when it came up. They were hooting and hollering every time anyone said a line that was vaguely like a line from something else. Whenever a character turned up that had been in another movie, it was like screaming and yelling. And I'm like, 
I don't think this film's actually good. Like, nothing interesting is happening. And everyone's just cheering everything. Like, like if you stopped yelling for four minutes, you might notice this is actually a terrible piece of shit. Like, I had a secret theory that Sam Raimi, because he kind of started this whole superhero thing by making Spider-Man one of the biggest films of all time, had decided he wanted to end it by making the worst superhero movie ever. But yeah, it's just it's that kind of like I uh, it's it's really performative. It's like I want to be seen to be enjoying something, yes. and it's like, are you making this for TikTok? Are you like because no one can see you? We can we can hear you, and it's annoying. But it's like it's really performative, and it's not. I don't know how the actors cope with it. Like the stars are probably fine because it's like, well, it's for me. Well, Patty would rip them a new fucking asshole. That's what well, she yeah, would Patty do. Would. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Well, that that is a thing that happens at Funny Girl. People are like going over lyrics just in case they're they're gonna sing along. It's like, don't don't stop that. It's no. just for me. For, the one thing I really hated about watching Hamilton because uh, I saw it right in the meat of when like the, the day after their Tony nominations came out. Right. Every single person got entrance applause every time. Oh, like oh. the Fonz. <laughs> Yeah. I I miss the first part of every scene, every song. It's like, some of us have not seen this yet. Can we just save the applause for after the songs? That'd be great. Yeah, because I saw it in Sydney. So, of course, it had already been on Disney+. Plus. Everyone who was there had seen it 400 times in some form or another or listened to the cast album over and over again. And I'd never seen it before. I'd kind of avoided mm-hmm. watching it and listening to it because I thought, well, if it's this well received, it must be good. So I want to go and see it sight unseen. And I'm like... Oh man, I don't know what's happening because it's drowned out half the time. Like every time a song yeah. starts, it's like, ah, it's this one. It's like, this is not Harry Styles. But it's also like, why are you surprised when a song happens at the point in a musical <laughs> that you know it's going no. to happen? Yeah. I know. Like, yeah. Yeah, I get that with Mamma Mia because it's like, oh, this ABBA song, great. I love this one. But in a musical where it's an original musical, it's like, why are you now excited about a song that I actually haven't heard before? <laughs> Yeah. It's it's a weird experience. Yeah, you're you're right. It is performative because it feels like, and again across the board, not just theatre, but it feels like they're pre-planning their reactions to things. Yes. Like yeah. When this thing happens, I'm going to react like this, and so I'll go there and they'll go see something like six, and they'll have their certain reactions through it. But they see other fans and what other fans are doing, and then they think about, oh, the other fans did this, so next time I go see it, I'm going to do that <laughs> thing as well. And stuff like that. And then they can brag about it online. I'm the biggest fan. No, sit down, shut up. It's it's almost like every theatre experience now is a Rocky Horror Midnight Screening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Which was, you know, that was the way that film was received because it was fun and it was camp and people loved it. But that's not the way to go to the theatre. But then maybe we're just old people and this is the way the youth experience joy now. I think we need to understand the difference between a piece of theatre and a concert. And it's like, yeah. if I'm at a concert where there's a wall of sound systems, like it doesn't matter if I sing along. No one's going to hear me over this wall of sound. But like in a theatre... Yeah. It's like there hopefully are emotional and melodic dynamics. Things get loud, things get soft. It's like, I'd like to go on that journey Mm -hmm. as opposed to just have like have everything I feel be shaped by people who have already decided how they feel about the piece before they walked in. Yeah, that is difficult. Phantom of the Opera was just playing in Melbourne. I think it's just closed. The other night during the prologue, 
the prologue, which is all talking. Mm-hmm. The auctioneer said, how much for, or what's the bid for this thing? And someone in the audience yelled out a price. And Phantom <laughs> of the fucking opera in the prologue? A Phantom of the opera has crazy stands. Like they've been, they've seen it all a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend who's a Phantom stand. That's the thing. And now they own it. Yeah. They own it now. So they can go along. They can go to the backstage of Wicked, right? To the stage door and say to the Alpha Bar, oh, you were good tonight, but not as good as the other girl I saw play the part. Yep. Because they own that show. They're allowed to say what they want to the people. And it's not on. I don't think that's appropriate either. It is not on. Yeah. I understudied Alex Brightman for a role he was nominated for a Tony for. Oh. There is nothing like being literally on stage behind the curtain. Your actual name is announced to the crowd and everyone in the crowd goes, oh, curtain up. Go get him, kid. (laughs) I have disappointed thousands of people in the Winter Garden Theater. Thousands. But like people know that when you buy a ticket, like I'm always like, I don't care who I get. I saw a different guy, a different, who's the guy that shoots Hamilton? Burr. Yeah. I saw, I saw two different people play that role in Sydney and I'm like, they're both good. In New York, it is very much about getting the guy on the poster to do the thing that the guy on the poster does. It's very much about that. Like, I don't know how much you are on the Broadway subreddits or anything like that, but every day, literally every day, someone will ask like, is Josh Groban going to be out for? any performances because I really don't want to go all the way to New York and not see Josh Groban so if someone could just tell me when Josh Groban is out it's just like his name's above the of the title if he's out trust me everyone's gonna know yeah but it's like he's a human and it is live theater so some days he may not be there and we're living through a pandemic yes and theater is the only industry where we're still testing apparently so oh wow yeah, I still, I'm still testing twice a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was watching a bootleg. Someone in the comments has mentioned, I love the person in the audience who points to Carrie when she makes her entrance. What? What the fuck is there to love about someone who points? <laughs> this is where we've got to, though. This is where we've got to that someone is loving, is a fan of an audience member for pointing. <laughs> I love that person who recognized the person who's supposed to be in the show and then indicated that that was the person in the show. See what I mean? That's my favorite part of the show. How mediocre do we have to go? How fucking boring do we have to be? (laughs) Fandom used to be fun. It used to be a celebration of the art. Now it is a celebration of the individual, the self, the fan. Mm. The fans are more known than some of the artists. Why? I think it's just every every fandom, like like especially when you're a teenager, you define yourself by your likes and what's cool to you, and like and so yeah. I, I do understand how like the ownership thing can build up to that, but it's also like it's the inherent inequality of anyone who does, especially live performance. It's like. You, we've been sharing the same space, but the message mm. has only been going one way. I have not been getting to know you all. You have been mm-hmm. getting to know me, and thus there is this false intimacy when we interact. You expect I know something about you, and I don't. So I just have to go yeah. and everyone, you might be a crazy person, so please forgive me if I treat you with some distance, because I have no idea who you are. Like, I've always found, like, with, with performing on stage, people do have, like, a, a vague reverence for your yeah. kind of 
face and they're like, oh, I don't, I'm sorry to take up your time. Because even though, you, like, with stand-up, you talk to the audience as if you're having a conversation with them and it's meant to sound like, you know, you're being conversational, but people are still usually a little bit distant. But with radio, it was a completely different thing where because you're in the car with them for hours in the morning, like you are, you know, you're in their house, you, the, the best way to do radio is to speak to only one person. Like you're speaking, like I'm basically talking to you guys and the one other person who's here listening. Um, they feel like they know you cause you've been in the car with them and you've been talking only to them. And it's, I mean, it's kind of a privilege that people would feel like they can come and say hello to me at the Northland Food Court and have lunch with me and their three children. Um, yeah. But it's just a weird experience because they come up and say, hey, how's it going? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And it's like, I don't know where I know this person from. And about 20 minutes, they're like, oh, by the way, we don't, I don't know you. I just listen to you on the radio. I'm like, okay, good. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> it is a weird, like... Different forms of performance invite different levels of uh, behaviour. But, yeah, it's, it, it is strange when people kind of do, do believe that you've been talking directly to them and no one else. It's like there's like 1,500 other people here. I can't, I can't be yeah. friends with all of you. That's it. That, that's what they're told on play school is to talk to one person at home. Yeah. Not talk to a hundred people. It's the best way. Like it's, it's also, the, I mean, it's also, you know, what you do when you do stand up. Like I learned this from Shirley Bassey of all people. Uh, <laughs> Gold finger. Yeah. yeah. So the way she performs is yeah. she will try to make eye contact with every single person in the audience at least once. So like just a moment of singing to that person and then a moment of singing to that person and a moment of talking to that person and just slowly making your way around the audience as much as possible and that's the way I've always performed stand-up is like you just try to make eye contact with each person at least once trying to you know get a full spread of everyone because I know a lot of people look above the audience and try not to engage at all but for me it was always now I'm going to try and see everyone I'm going to try and talk to these people as if they're actual people as opposed to an amorphous blob. Uh, since I'd like, I, I run into so few stand-up comedians who love musical theater as much as I do. Well, it's, I always like to ask this question. It's like, why, uh, why is it Broadway have such a hard time building musical comedies that aren't based on previous IP? Like, is it, do you think it's a part of the fact that it takes Broadway so long to create a musical? Like it's very hard to keep a comedy fresh for five years of development. Mm. Or is it the idea that uh, musical comedies are, the humor has to be so different because you're always stopping the show in order to have this music, which is, can just utterly kill the momentum of, like songwriting is not stand-up. Yeah. And it's less of a joke delivery device. Yeah, I mean, it can be though. Like, you know, there's, uh, like there are a couple of, oh, several songs in Wicked that I find hilarious. And there's some really funny moments in Hamilton. There's, you know, a, a decent musical will have some big laughs in it. I think the biggest problem at the moment with original IP is existing IP has a built-in audience. Like mm. you can guarantee that all the fans of whatever, whatever, whatever it is, you can guarantee that a whole bunch of fans of something will turn up. K-pop the musical cares to disagree with you on that. <laughs> For like a week, like, you know, like, and Juliet, it's like, oh yeah, we love all the Max Martin songs. We'll go and, and see, um, I want to see the baby one more time music or whatever it is. Once upon a one more time. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a problem with cinema at the moment. It's why every second movie is a Marvel or a DC movie. Because it's like these comic book characters have 
built-in audiences who will just go to all of them regardless of their varying quality and that they're becoming worse and worse. Um, uh, same with, you know, yeah. your Star Wars and your everything. So, I, but I think it will get to that point where there is such like an over-reliance on, on existing IP that people will start to cry out for new. Um, the Toniston Tales. And we will. <laughs> but people will start crying out for something that hasn't, existed before and it oh, will great. something will cut through and something will be amazing and and it'll become oh we have to do new things all the time now i don't know when that's going to happen yeah entertainment is cyclical <laughs> mm. but yeah comedy is really hard to maintain through pre, like many drafts because your instinct is to jettison the jokes that have been working because they're old now you've yeah. heard them a thousand <laughs> yeah. times yeah but like audiences haven't heard them I feel like spam a lot worked on that level in that it's like here's a bunch of ancient jokes <laughs> that have been around the block a thousand times and people still came and saw it. I have a problem with a lot of existing IP getting turned into comedy because some of the things that work best in like Monty Python or uh, mm. the one I saw recently, Mrs. Doubtfire the musical, it's like Mrs. Doubtfire works because of these tossed off gems that Robin Williams just sort of throws out there. But yeah. in the musical, they're treated like biblical canon. Like we are setting up <laughs> this whole scene. Like there is a scene that takes place indoors in a gym. And then all of a sudden, apropos of nothing, someone walks in with a cart that has a bowl of fruit on it. Oh no. And it's just like, we are setting up this entire scene for the run by fruiting joke. And this audience is gonna go nuts. <laughs> Like it's their free bird. They're gonna throw the fruit, run by fruiting. Ah, he said the line from the thing. And it's just oh like- Oh my God, that's too much. It doesn't feel like comedy. It just feels like homage at that point. It's just like- <laughs> Fan service. Yeah. yeah. Like that didn't deserve to stop a show. No. <laughs> it's celebrating mediocrity. It's celebrate the point. <laughs> Look, there's Carrie. Oh, I love that person. She pointed him out. That's that's what it is. And But I've got a question here. But I'll turn it into a comment. I don't think <laughs> studios at all should be listening to every single fan demands that we give. No. Just because we go, wow, Rogers the Musical does not mean we need a fucking Rogers the Musical, okay? It was meant to be a terrible musical in that thing. It's not meant to be a good Broadway musical that we want to yeah. see, but the fans want to see it. So they're going to get it, aren't they? I don't think we need it. I don't think we need... Deadpool 3 as part of the MCU, but the fans want it. Yeah. So we're getting it. And they knew that the fans might not want it, so they put Hugh Jackman in it as Wolverine, just to make sure fans would want it. Yeah. The the Coven of Chaos, with just because we liked the witch and the, the WandaVision thing. Now she gets her own series. Yeah. Oh, no, man. I would watch Catherine Hahn in anything. Like, that. that's, a, that's an exception. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. I'm going to watch Catherine it. Catherine Hahn. She's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to watch all of this Marvel stuff I am I'm talking about, but I don't think they should be listening to us. They should stick to their guns and what the story they want to tell. Tell that story. Ignore us. There's always a fine line. It's like Casablanca is the best example of mm. absolute committee work creating a perfect piece of cinema. Like that was uh, that was like 20 people in a room coming up with everything in that. And the opposite side of that is you get in the 70s, like Heaven's Gate. 
Let the oh, genius yeah. do his work. It's like, great, you have a five-hour <laughs> movie that cost $20 million at that time, which was, like, insane. And yeah, no yeah. one wants to watch this movie because no one wanted to rein in the genius. So yeah. at some point, like, there is a push and pull. And at some point, you do just, like, the customer is right. If the customer wants to watch Moon Knight, we're doing Moon Knight. Okay. But we don't need Moon Knight's best friend's little sister to have a TV show just because she was funny and sassy in the show. I see Marvel or the MCU, what they're doing is sort of like big budget soap opera. Yeah. Mm. That's what I see it as. And that's why I can I can accept it because a soap opera is a continuing story over how many years. Yeah, but soap operas are kind of, you know, they're fun and exciting and then they can be funny. Like Coronation Street can be wildly hilarious and then really dramatic and yep. violent. It's, you know, you tune in every day because it's on every day. But Marvel, it's like, oh, yeah, we're now. It's almost like you go to the movies and sit there for like two and a half hours because you want to see the cliffhanger in the credits. And I'm like, that is not. <laughs> That's not that's that's a lot of money to spend waiting for a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. I just my problem with the Marvel movies that after Endgame, it's like they keep wanting me to care. And it's like we've had all the stakes. Yeah. All the stakes in the universe have happened. So we can either choose to do these TV shows and explore like different parts of the universe in greater mm -hmm. detail, or we can just keep trying to ramp up these stakes. And this one like we're done. Like yeah. can't we like can't we just figures like let this work a little or more organically i think we've all got superhero fatigue and but the um, the capitalist machine that makes them will not let us have a break and it's like no, i'm fine well you're going to force fine. a break on us because we're going to become completely disenfranchised with the whole thing we got a break in 2020 there was no new marvel except one division i think and there was the black widow no, agents was... issue. no that was 2021 Everything got pushed oh, back it? to 2021. The only thing right. that aired was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But that's because no one could go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But after Endgame, after just having Endgame, and I think it was, was it Spider-Man that came after that? It was mm. a nice accidental break to have that year off without having I, three. I, like five years off. Well, we did. We just got snapped away, didn't yeah. we? We've just come back. <laughs> Between Star Wars and Marvel, it's like, p give us one TV show and one movie a year, and then we can get a chance to, like, because, yeah. like, once, like, the Star, once Disney started doing the Star Wars, and they're doing, like, one or two a year, it's like, I, I can't oh, keep yeah. up. I got shit to do. And it's like, and then it's like, once I get a few behind, I realize, oh, I don't, I don't need to catch up with this. I'm, I'm actually quite yeah. fine. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's to me with the Marvel is like, I invested so much time through Endgame. And it's like, great. Now that that happened, none of that matters because this is what's really important. Like, no. <laughs> Also, just investing in characters, I'm like, I don't even, I don't think I've ever read a comic with these assholes in it. Who are they? <laughs> and also, it's just once you start bringing people back from the dead, you lose me. It's just like, great. So oh, there are no yeah. stakes in this universe whatsoever, and nothing matters. Great. That okay. is a very comic book thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much. In musicals, Adam, what are some things that happen in musical, like musical tropes or like just things that you say, oh, that's lazy? What are things in musicals that you're just like, uh, oh, that completely took me out of view? Like, I can't stand musicals that X. For me, it's like when a lyricist makes up a word to make a rhyme work, that f infuriates me. Well, I mean, I, I did enjoy that, you know, that was basically the language of Wicked. And it's like, oh, you've, you've given yourself a free pass there. Everyone talks in weird words. <laughs> Well, okay, but they've created a universe, so I'm I'm a little okay yeah. with that. But it's like, yeah, 
the thing that annoys me is it's it's mainly a performer thing when there's a big star in a show and they get a round of applause when they walk out and they acknowledge it (laughs) (laughs) it's like you're meant to be in character love (laughs) sometimes the people won't shut up until you acknowledge them so it's like thank you i'd like to start work now (laughs) i get that it's 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 a thing um i was really frustrated with uh when i went to see nine to five that dolly parton didn't bother to re-record her video intro and was making references to british tv shows that don't air here <laughs> i'm just like she doesn't know that <laughs> i'm like dolly re-record it <laughs> just like re-record the one line like you haven't even turned up to the show for christ's sakes like yeah. this is your one contribution it's just a it's just a tape i'm also not mad for you know sometimes you'll see something and you're like oh this was an impro one night and you you're just you've run it into the ground like it's this is not funny anymore you know like i'm sure it was funny the first couple of times Mm. and then you like there's something that's still stuck in the show and you're like yeah no you should have jettisoned that a long time ago like this is oh like the planned break in music man (laughs) yeah (laughs) hugh jackman has just a moment in the show where he just breaks every time like and they oh it's not funny it's like if you're doing it every night that's not it's not a break you're just stopping the show yeah yeah, it's it's those kind of things. It's that, you know, that faux improvisation. It's just like, it's not, that's not an impro. Like it, maybe it was one night or mm-hmm. maybe someone on Broadway did that impro, but why are we seeing this in Sydney now? Like why <laughs> why is this in Melbourne? Why why is the genie saying that? That's That feels forced now. And like you were saying about Robin Williams, like a lot of the, you know, a lot of his stuff was completely improvised. Mm-hmm. So by doing, doing his impros as sacrosanct bits of text yeah, it feels like scripted <laughs> yeah and it's like and it wasn't and the reason it worked was because it was a unique performer doing something very off the cuff it just feels weird when someone does it in a big musical theater voice like they're about to sell something mm-hmm. my partner and i yesterday were flicking through channels and we came across something with jonathan groff and we're talking about how i like i love him i think he's a great performer but i always feel like he's about to burst into song at any minute in anything he's in <laughs> like he's a and i have the same problem with hugh jackman like even wolverine i feel like at any minute he's about to go i'm wolverine <laughs> <laughs> I have to hate Jonathan Gruff on some level because he made Seymour from Little Shop hot. And I'm like, God damn it. What? No. Yeah. Jonathan Gruff, Seymour and Little Shop. I'm like, oh, look at this poor, hot, tall man. (laughs) No. Was he doing the production where he also sang The Plant? (laughs) No. He was just, this was just like, hey, we're just going to have, it's still going on. Hot, the hot Seymour production. They're just adding a new hot Seymour every few months. A new hot Seymour. Yeah. We had one here where the, the, the lead sang both parts. So would have his back to the audience and the puppet would be going and he'd be singing the plant. That must be brutal vocally on the actor. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was like it's it was like it's amazing and cheap, but <laughs> <laughs> that it is that. Was that Brent Hill who did that? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was the Aussie Jewy Finn in School of Rock. Brent Hill. Nice. Yeah, it's like I love musicals and I love when it feels natural and but yeah, I guess I guess it's just the part of the problem with a musical is that because there's so much precision involved and there's, you know, you got to watch out for things smacking into your head. Yes, you do. <laughs> it has to be rehearsed and so therefore there's no room for 
any anything vaguely approaching naturalism and and spontaneity which is weird like I'm, I'm but you know I when I used to teach stand-up I was like my big thing was like you're going to say these things a hundred times and it's going to become boring for you and you need to not sound like a newsreader because people won't laugh because they want to feel that this is the first time you've ever said this to them like it needs to sound conversational even though you're repeating something you've said a thousand times like your stand-up routine will become word perfect after about a month and you need to somehow in your performance find a way of still making it sound like it's the first time you've said it and yeah I think that's probably my biggest problem with a lot of musical theatre is that you go yeah I know you do this eight times a week and you're not hiding that yeah I saw I saw a production of a very long-running New York show that I will not name because I had a friend Mm. My friend was actually like really awesome, but he was like relatively new to the cast and you could absolutely tell who the new hires were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this was, this was a Saturday night on Broadway and it was just like, yeah. some people were like, one of the leads clearly had dinner reservations because they were just like, no, nope, no time for laughs, no time for pauses. <laughs> we had done this twice today. Uh, like, yeah. That's just the vibe I got off of a bunch of the actors. Yeah. yeah do what I hate? Fake laughter. From the audience or from the stage? Or from Adam. Or from Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's faking laughter. Hey, it's a polite it's it's a polite thing for me to do. <laughs> Thank I'm you, kidding. Adam. I, I'm talking about the actors on the stage where, you know, two people will finish a, a scene or a song or something and they're like, ah, I'd be so funny. Ah, and they run off stage. I'm like, fuck off, please. Like like sitcom credits? <laughs> fuck off, yes. <laughs> Yes. Like at the end of a happy day scene. <laughs> yes. Yes. It just, it, that pisses me off because I'm like, no, it doesn't feel natural. Yeah. Laughter should be earned. Yes. Laughter should be earned. If it's a funny moment, then people should be laughing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's to represent that they're having fun. I don't laugh when I'm having fun. I don't get that. Like, I've heard. <laughs> I'll smile and go, you know, wee or whatever, but I'm not yeah. laughing. Like I'm not like, ha ha, this is so much fun. Ha. No. It's yeah. It's a. It's just a theatrical shorthand to enjoyment. It's like, no. How do we prove that we're enjoying ourselves? Well, they're not fooling like, anybody. The script hasn't really portrayed it, so we'll we'll laugh at it. I think part of it's sunk cost because you just get the idea of like, I spent two hundred and fifty bucks. This better be the best show ever, and your brain convinces you. <laughs> This was the best show ever. That's why people give standing ovations to anything nowadays because they, they feel like they have to. I gave a standing ovation the other day, even with my bung leg, but it was absolutely deserved. I went to see uh, the picture of Dorian Gray at the okay, STC, yeah. which yeah. is the most, like it's a one-woman performance. Erin uh, Jane Norville, incredible. She's just amazing. And it's... Like it is just, it's like a new kind of theatre. Like so there's this massive big screen on the stage um, which moves around after a while. And so there's all these camera operators following her around and you're like, oh, am I going to watch like TV and this is a live performance? And then there's more screens come in and then she's playing other characters on the screen who are talking to the real her on stage and it just, and it keeps going into these bizarre places and it was like when you got to the end of like two hours, no interval, and there's the bow, and it's just like the entire audience just erupted into spontaneous, like onto their feet. 
and There's and no, no singing. <laughs> no, it was just like it's it was you know it was such an amazing performance. Like it's and it kind of like it we kind of had the language of an audio book. Like you know when you listen, like we're all used to listening to audio books now in this day and age, and people play all the characters and it was basically the story of Dorian Gray. Uh, and so she's telling the story and playing the characters. At one point she was at a dinner table with like seven people and they were all on a screen and the screen had come down behind a table. So she's like, it. it is the most berserk produ- production you've ever seen. And it was amazing. And just when you thought, oh yeah, I've seen all the tricks now, there'd be another thing happening. Like there would be a moment where she was playing characters using snapchat filters like she'd look at one camera and she was one character and then she'd look at her phone and she was this you know kind of man with a beard and like back and forth and it was like oh this is it just and it kept upping and upping the ante so when it got to the end you were just like how has she managed this (laughs) for two hours like this has been berserk that sounds amazing it was incredible. It was just an amazing piece of theatre. Something that couldn't have been made even five years ago because the, the screen was gigantic and they would not have had the kind of fidelity of cameras to be able to project something that big. So, yeah, it was just, it was an amazing. But, yeah, the entire audience, like I leapt to my feet and it was an effort to get out of my chair with my busted leg. <laughs> grab my, grab my, um, they put me in the wheelchair section so there was plenty of handholds and stuff so I could get up pretty easily but yeah sometimes it is a spontaneous thing like sometimes it feels like you know you're being dragged out of your chair <laughs> like Mamma Mia where it's like we're having a dance now <laughs> yeah my, my whole thing is just like I mean we're all going to get up anyway yeah. so like if we decide to get up 30 seconds early just for the actor great that's fine with me yeah like, it's not like they're just going to sit there and wait for th- this one wasn't good. I'm going to sit here until I see a good show. Like, no, we're all going to stand up eventually. So I'm okay with that. But yeah, it's I, I, I'm, I've been to a lot of theatre where I've where no one stood up and it's been fine. This conversation has been well off the track. So um, get Adam to do your <laughs> socials and then I'll finish off the rest for the episode and do that in ADR. So where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, at Adam Richard on Twitter and Instagram, fabulous Adam Richard on Facebook. And uh, I have two podcasts, one where I talk yep. about Doctor Who every single day, Adam Richard Has a Theory, and the <laughs> Mariah Carey podcast, Me, I Am a Memoir, The Meaning of the Meaning of Mariah Carey. That sounds amazing. Every time I see Adam Richard Has a Theory, I hear in my head that it's a demon, a dancing demon. No, something isn't right there. <laughs> You're not the only one. Heaps of people like sing yes, that. Yes, from the Buffy reason. musical. <laughs> yeah, for, for those at home. But anyway, so all right, I'll let you guys go because I need to go to the toilet. And thank you. Lovely to meet you, Adam. Nice to meet you, Jonathan. It's been fun. <laughs> A huge thanks to Adam Richard for joining us, especially given the circumstances. My heart goes out to you. Please get better soon. Keep off that leg. No hobbling around to the cinemas or giving standing ovations for crying out loud especially if they're not deserved. Check out a show called Hard Quiz, which Adam is a writer of. And if you want to find Adam and his work, just search the fabulous Adam Richard. As Mr. Wags found out, who you can find on the social media at Mr. Wags or on YouTube at The Dohio. And that's all about sumo wrestling. So if you're an English-speaking fan of sumo wrestling, this is a great way to keep up to date with what's going on 
projections and predictions for the future, statistics, stuff like that. It's a great way to keep informed on that. And if you're in the Wisconsin or Chicago area around that sort of Midwest, it's not the West, but anyways, if you're in that area in Madison, go see Shining in Misery with lyrics by Mr. Mark Eugene Garcia, who is a friend of mine. So shout out to Mark and congratulations, Chookers, for the run. I am so excited for you guys. I wish I could be there, but you didn't invite me. I'll check the links below for tickets to Shining in Misery. So anyways, you can find us at Thrush and Treasure or at Thrush and Treasure Podcast all across the socials. You can find me at As Aware, but I don't know why you would want to. Uh, But anyways, to you at home, you take care and we shall see you next time. Do you know why she cancelled? No. Because she heard the show. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Break my I was so excited to have you on today, Adam, and you just go and break my heart. Hope Aaron can sleep with that knife in his back. At least something's sticking in my back for crying out loud. Anyways, no. <laughs> my lord.